From St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, Paul quotes Jesus and says, This is my body which is given for you, Jesus says. Do this in remembrance of me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, for the past few weeks, um, as you all know by now, we've been hunkered down, watching the news, staying on top of it, taking our very lives into our hands and our visits to Publix, where it, where it is, in fact, a pleasure to shop unless you are in the midst of a pandemic, in which case it becomes a bit of a madhouse. Kathy relayed to me this past week that she and Grace went to Publix for, wait for it, toilet paper, and they had a pallet brought out, and of course, every person was able to grab whatever it was, one or two of them, and, and um, so Kathy grabbed one, and Grace, my 13-year-old daughter, grabs one, because uh, she was waiting in line, and they were all queued up, and Gracie grabs hers, and someone said that she cheated her way into line, and Kathy had to then turn around and whisk her out of Publix like a Secret Service agent guarding the president. It's a little bit ridiculous, and so even if you are not out dodging the flotsam and jetsam at Publix this past couple of weeks, maybe you've taken to another way of passing the time, perhaps a better way, and that would be to read a book, and that is precisely what I've been doing. I have uh, just about finished a book called Gettysburg, about the Battle of Waterloo. No, about the Battle of Gettysburg, written by a guy named Adam Allen Guelzo. He's actually a retired Episcopal priest, if you didn't know it, professor of history at uh, Gettysburg University. And, and the reason I like this book so much is because it tells it in a different way. I know a lot about the Battle of Gettysburg. I've been there. I've walked the battlefield along with my very patient wife. If you're not into the uh, Civil War, touring a battlefield is not exactly an exciting thing. But she went with me, and I know all about it, Little Round Top and the Devil's Den and the Peach Orchard. You know, I've been there and I've done that, as they say. But what I like about this book, which is why I've been so kind of engrossed in it over these past couple of weeks, is that it presents history, specifically the Battle of Gettysburg. It presents it not as facts and not as dates to memorize, but as a story. As a story. And why that is so important, well, for two things. First of all, I will confess to you tonight that when I hear the word story, Part of me cringes a little bit. <laughs> Part of my left brain engineer brain says, man, just give me the facts. I don't need no story. Just give me the data. But if you think about it, you know, a story is actually a really powerful way to communicate a truth claim. I mean, we all do it. Jesus does this very thing. The parables of the Good Samaritan or the, of the prodigal son, they're stories, right? They are fictional stories, but they're stories. But indeed, a lot of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, the Acts of the Apostles and the Gospels, they are story. They are history known as historical narrative, meaning it's historical events depicted as a story, as a series of events with people acting in them. And why a story is so powerful, and this is the thing I want you to get into tonight briefly, is because stories allow us to enter into the events ourselves. What makes a story so powerful, whether it's the Gettysburg or the Acts of the Apostles or the Gospels or even tonight, which I'll get to in a second, stories allow us to put ourselves in and experience what it must have been like to be there, to feel what they felt. And the reason I'm saying this is if, if you've ever been here before to Maundy Thursday, our liturgy tonight is precisely what we're about to do this evening 
is precisely a story. It is a story in action. By the way, two people asked me this this past week. What in the world does Maundy mean? Well, if you don't know, the word Maundy is an anglicized um, version of the word mandatum, a Latin word, which means commandment. And so Jesus says in the gospel, a new commandment I give you, mandatum, Maundy. Maundy Thursday, Jesus gives the new commandment to love one another as I have loved you, which is astounding because he's about to be crucified the next day. And what does he do? He tells his followers his last action, love each other, which doesn't mean emotion. It means do. Love is a verb in the Christian usage. And then he washes their feet. Why? To show that he is, in fact, putting them above himself. But then what he does after that as he gathers the twelve together for what is usually known as the Last Supper. Now, it's the Last Supper because it's the Last Supper before he is murdered. And as the story unfolds, again, read it again, as the story unfolds in John's Gospel, he eats the meal. Judas betrays him. He eats the meal. He gives them their new commandment to love each other. He washes their feet And he gives them the example, right? Jesus is always giving the example. He doesn't just tell us what to do. He shows us how to do it. And if you don't know this, wearing sandals in the first century and washing somebody's feet is nasty work. Nasty work. But Jesus' actions, you see, the story, illustrate love in action. That love for the Christian is not just good feelings. Hey, hope you're good. You too. No. Anybody can do that. Love is a verb, man. Love is how you can love your enemies. You don't have to like them, but you do have to love them. Loving somebody is putting their needs ahead of your own. And Jesus is the, is the ultimate example of that very thing, which we will see tomorrow from the cross. But then Jesus says something really profound, which I'm going to dial in on briefly tonight. Jesus says to, at, at the Last Supper, as the twelve are gathered at the table, he says, this, to the bread, is my body which is given for you, y'all. It's second person plural in Greek. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, the tricky thing here is it sounds like what Jesus is telling us to do is to recall a past event, right? I'm going away, and from now on, every time you gather around and eat this bread and drink this chalice, you can think about me, right? You can be reminded of me. And the, word, and the reason people say that is the word remember for a Westerner, for a 21st century post-enlightenment Western person like you and I, the word remember means to recall a past event, right? To think about something which happened to you in the past and to bring it into your memory. But that you're bringing a past event into your consciousness. But the Greek word there for the word remembrance is a really important word. It is the Greek word amenuensis. Anamnesis, excuse me, Emmanuelensis is secretary. Anamnesis. And it doesn't just mean to recall a past event. Listen to this. This is wild. Anamnesis means that when you do this action, you actually bring yourself into the past. Or you could say, when you do this, you are bringing the past into the present. My point is, what Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, what he is saying, friends is that when you do this action, you are participating with him at that Last Supper. 
that when you, are, when you and I gather at the altar, which we will do tonight, and we do it as the primary act of our worship, every single sacrifice of the Mass at every single altar by a priest or bishop in apostolic succession is us being invited into, literally, the Last Supper, where we, you could think of it like we are transported back in time or it is transported back to us. The point being, when we remember that thing, it makes it present. Every single celebration of the Eucharist, which we will do in a moment here, in some strange, supernatural, super-rational way, transports you and I back in time, so to speak, or you might say, brings the past forward to us. No matter how you try to conceive of it, it's a mystery. You really can't, but what I want you to understand, this is so important, is that the altar, when a priest or a bishop is celebrating the Eucharist at the altar, it's not the priest at the altar, it's actually Jesus. Every time you participate in the Eucharist, you, friends, and I are literally participating in the Last Supper. Not only that, the even crazier thing is what Scripture says is that we are, it's not only us here gathered at the Last Supper with Christ, it is those who have gone before us, right? Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company, company of heaven, all the dead Christians that have gone before us, all the people around the world even now, that we gather together in remembrance with Christ. We are brought into that very night, the night before he was crucified, at that very table, at that very table to celebrate the sacrament of his body and blood. When we remember, friends, we gather together, we participate together to, to the same event 2,000 years ago in the upper room on the Thursday night before Christ was crucified. And the truth is, at the Last Supper, we receive, according to the, uh, the Catholic understanding of the church, we receive the body and blood of Christ, truly present, really present. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. No one tried, well, the Roman Catholics try to define it. Good Anglicans just say, we don't know. Christ is really present in the bread and the wine as his body and blood. We don't know how, but we know it's there. And the reason it's so important, you see, is because biblically speaking, Bread, the body, and the blood are the mechanisms by which a person's soul is communicated. I'll give you just two examples. You see what I mean? I mean, think about it like this, right? Uh, you know, Native Americans and some other cultures, cannibals, <laughs> when they capture, when they would kill an enemy or for a Native American and you kill a bear, what do you do? You drink its blood. Why do they do it? To get the, the suke, the soul out of that animal, inside of themselves. Cannibals would do this very thing, not because they're hungry, but to consume the soul of their enemy. Vampires, which aren't true, aren't real, but a vampire, what does a vampire do? He drinks the blood and he sucks the soul out of the individual. And the crazy thing is Jesus says, listen, when you eat this bread, my body, and you drink my blood, my spirit goes into you. Our story tonight will continue. As you know, the story goes after the Last Supper. Jesus and his apostles go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus goes there to pray and ask the Father to take this cup from him. Tonight we will, after the conclusion of the liturgy, the sacrament, the body and blood of Christ, will be brought in solemn procession out of the building, down the aisle, into the chapel where it will be placed on the altar, surrounded by greenery in the garden of Gethsemane where we are invited either online virtually through the website 
where a few people want to gather tonight, we are invited to sit in the garden with Christ in his sacramental presence, to be with him. He says, could you not be with me one hour? That's the same challenge, friends, we have tonight. Because, friends, this liturgy tonight is a story. It is a story of the most important action that ever occurred in the entire history of mankind, in the entire history of everything. That Jesus Christ gives his life as a ransom for you and for me. And he invites us in tonight into this drama, this story, where he feeds us with his body and blood, and he asks us to follow him into the garden, to pray with him, to pray with him before the night and the night before he died. Friends, the altar is not a reenactment. It is not a recollection. It is not thinking about other times. What we are doing at the altar, and what we'll do tonight in a moment, is not a reenactment, you see, but a participation in the actual event. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, and you will join me in the upper room on that Thursday night before he died with his apostles and all that have gone before. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.